the Christian Circle podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. So welcome to a new episode of our podcast. Today we have a new guest, Steve Ray, who's going to talk about a very difficult subject, um, at least to some of us, and it's about the rules for dealing with non-Catholic or non-Christian family and friends. So Steve, before we go into um, our, our subject, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry? Well, that's a long story. I, I have uh, hours of conversation about that on my website, but yes, I, I can do it in a very short form. I was uh, born in Detroit, Michigan to parents who had been good pagans. They had never been raised in a church or taught anything about the Bible or prayer. And they got married young, moved to Detroit to work at Ford Motor Company, and they heard Billy Graham in 1953 and became very ardent and passionate Baptists. And they asked God to give them children now after 12 years of miscarriages. And I was born a year later, so my mom and dad said that I was a real answer to their prayer. And then uh, they raised us to be good Baptists. I remember my mom very paid us 50 cents to memorize Bible verses when we were little kids. And I remember her making me memorize the books of the Bible. And uh, it went something like this, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song, Asylum, and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Mike, Nehemiah, Becky, Zephaniah, Zechariah. Those are the books of the Old Testament. And my mom made me memorize that when I was about eight years old. Yeah. Most people wouldn't have known if I made a mistake, so I, I <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so we were raised in a very loving Baptist home, and I, I learned about holiness and about the Christian life and watch, watching my mom and dad. They were married 73 years wow. before my dad died. My dad died at 94 years old seven years ago. My mom is still alive. She's 98 and a half years old today, mm. still very alert. And uh, she says God's keeping her around because there's so many people that need prayer. Mm. And she said, I'm a prayer warrior, and I'll be here as long as God wants me to keep praying for people. So we were raised in a very good Baptist home, never missed church. And I still know all the good Protestant hymns. When I hear them, I still get tears in my eyes remembering my dad singing out in Baptist church at the top of his lungs. He used to love those old hymns. Mm -hmm. Well, I got married uh, when I was 21 to a beautiful 19-year-old girl from Southern California. We had both just kind of found Jesus for ourselves. I mean, being raised in a Baptist family doesn't mean you're going to be a Christian yourself. There comes a time where you have to adopt it as your own. Mm -hmm. That happened to me when I was uh, 17 years old. I was a kind of a wild hippie kid and long hair and bell-bottom blue jeans. And so I, uh, that's where I first heard Billy Graham myself, and I got all excited, and I became a very fervent, uh, kind of an evangelist, I would say, even at that point, a very ex excited evangelist. And I started going back to high school to get everybody saved. Well, we had four kids. My, my wife and I got married, and we had four kids. We homeschooled our kids all the way through from kindergarten to high school because my wife said, there are two things I know. If I homeschool my own kids, they will know that God created them in his image, and they didn't crawl out of some muck in an ocean, <laughs> and they will also be able to read. And so we homeschooled our kids, and it was illegal in Michigan. We had to do it kind of in secret. 
okay. bought an old farmhouse. And, but once it became legal and accepted in Michigan, then we were fine. And our kids all went to college, got 4.0s mm-hmm. as uh, grade scores in college. They now all own, married and own their own homes, our four kids. And we have 18 grandchildren. <laughs> and none of them have television. All of them are being homeschooled, and they love to read books, and they're the most active, sociable kids in the world. I love the cat. I didn't say also, i go back to this, but uh, when we were 39 years old, this was 27 years ago, uh, my wife and I converted to the Catholic Church. And uh, since then, we have been able to share that fullness of the faith with many people, and I could say that I've heard of hundreds if not thousands of people who have come into the Catholic Church mm-hmm. partly because of my book that I wrote called Crossing the Tiber. Mm-hmm. The Tiber is a river that runs through Rome so when you cross the Tiber it's a way of saying that you're coming home to the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And since then now we have writing books and I lead pilgrimages. My wife and I have been to the Holy Land over 180 times. Mm-hmm. We lead pilgrimages to all these biblical and Catholic sites. We've made a 10-part video series, a documentary of the whole Bible since becoming Catholic and written five books and just having a blast, just having a blast. Love the Lord, love the Bible, love my family, and glad to be on the show with you today. Well, thank you so much. It, it's, it's a wonderful um, testimony of how God can bring us home, and everybody has a different story, right? Oh, everybody has a different story because we're all so unique and we are all have a God works in our lives, all of us, whether we want him to or not, we can say yes. no to him and slam the door in his face or we can say yes, which is what I did at 17 years old. And I'll tell you, the Lord has never let me down. He has blessed me every day. He has made my life rich with blessings and family and spiritual gifts and so on uh, but God works different in everyone's life mm-hmm. and he but he's always there wanting to the, the way I see it Pamela is that it's like a house for rent mm-hmm. our lives are like a house that you have a room mm-hmm. just one room you want to let out uh, for rental for somebody and God comes and knocks on the door and he said I'd like to see the room mm-hmm. so we show him the room and he says I like that room I'll take it uh, but I'd also like this room here. No, oh, no, 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 that's mine. You can't have that. I will rent this room to you, but only that room. God says, I'll take it, but I like what I see. And if you'll give me more rooms, I'll take them. Mm-hmm. And then he comes to you again a while later and says, you know, I really would like that room. And I say, oh, well, you know, I'm not using it, and I could use 100 extra dollars a month. Sure, you could have that room too. And God says, I like what I see. I'll take it. And if you have any other rooms, let me know. Well, pretty soon God starts to, we, I, start to open up the door to all the rooms in my life. Mm-hmm. And I open them up to the Lord and let him in. But there's always we have certain little doors that are our own, that are our own little private sins or our own little private life. We don't want God to interfere. We say, no, you can have all these other, but not here. And then finally, many of us say, you know what, Lord, since you've been in this house in my life, it's always been blessing. It's been joy. I'm going to give you the whole house. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did when I was 17. I decided to give Jesus the whole house. I gave him my whole life. I said, I'm not going to hide anything. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to give my life completely to you. You'll be my Lord and Savior. And I have never backed down from that. And I'm 60, almost 66 years old now. And I can say that once I gave my whole house, my whole life to the Lord, 
It has only been blessing and joy, and I encourage other people to do it too because he wants to work in all of our lives and in his own unique way in our own unique situations. In a way, your analogy is quite sim uh, similar to what um, St. Teresa of Avila says when she talks about her interior castle and, and giving the Lord his room and, and him making a place in your heart. Right, exactly right. Spiritual life is about us more and more. Uh, St. Paul refers to it as sanctification, becoming holy. Mm -hmm. And uh, in Hebrews 12, 14, it says that without holiness, we will never see the Lord. Mm -hmm. And there's that whole movement in our life directed by the Holy Spirit to become more holy, more like Jesus. And, uh, that, and that's exactly like the interior castle. That's what that's all about. When you were talking about your, your parents and, and their initial life, and you have a very accepted way of, of talking about it without any um, anger, without any hatred, without any division. Uh, usually when someone finds out about this initial um, separation, like a family member is either leaving the faith or uh, they're losing the faith, um, initially, they're quite unhappy. There's a lot of shock. There's people who are upset, uh, breakdowns. Um, how does someone deal with this initial, this in initial negative emotion that comes when you realize someone is, is now losing Christ in some way? Well, this is it is a sad thing. I I know in my own experience, I've had people who have walked away from the Lord and said, "I'm not going to follow Him anymore," and it's a sad thing. Um, but we don't stop loving them because they're made in the image of God and we have hope that they will return and we do everything we can to bring them back. And if we see and meet people in the world who are not Christians, who live contrary to the way we have been taught in the Catholic and the Christian tradition, and I do speak as a Catholic now, um, there are certain things that are moral and immoral, right and wrong. And, um, for example, across the street, we have two homosexual men who live there. And people in the neighborhood warned us, there was a Catholic family next door, says, you may not want to move in there because of this uh, influence in the neighborhood. And I said, no, that's perfectly fine. These are two men made in the image of God. And um, they don't, they're not living in the way that we understand to be right. It's contrary to natural law and the commands of God. But they're human beings made in the image of God. So we're going to move in and we're going to become friends with them. And we're going to do uh, everything we can to befriend them, and it'll be a long-term evangelistic project. And 15 years later, we've become very good friends with them, and now one of them comes over and wants to talk about the Lord all the time, and even brought up this, the, his, his sexual situation. But my point is, is that we, no matter where a person is, we as Christians and Catholics can love those people and we can have a positive influence in their lives. It doesn't mean that we have to accept their conduct or their way of life. And I made these guys are very clear that we don't accept their way of life, but they also know that we love them as people and we watch their house when they leave. They watch our house. We do things for each other and it's a very good situation. But I also say that when I became Catholic, you now a, a little different perspective. I knew, because our whole world was evangelical Protestant, mm. that no matter how we handled it, we were going to really anger and upset people mm. because my both of our families were evangelical Protestants, my wife and mine. We had lived in a whole world of evangelical Protestant. I taught the Bible. I did evangelism. We were involved in different churches with ministries. 
And even in my business that I had, uh, most of the people that worked for me were, were just Protestant Christians. So when we finally began to study and uh, research the Catholic faith and was letting out kind of uh, sounders or feelers mm-hmm. out that we were going to moving in this direction, uh, people were very upset. They tried to invite us to their houses to argue with us, to try and dissuade us from doing this crazy, crazy thing. Why would you want to leave the Bible Christian church to go follow the traditions of men and the Pope in Rome. Why would somebody want an old man in Rome to tell them what to do? Why would you want to become Catholic? All the problems in the Catholic church. Well, anyway, long story short is there's a lot of problems in any religion you're at, no matter what That's it true. is, Jewish, <laughs> Christian, Protestant, Baptist, whatever. And so we, when we did become Catholic, we lost both of our families, and we've lost all of our friends, all of our friends, except for one couple who became Catholic a year later. All of our friends walked away and said, we are not interested in being friends with you anymore. Mm-hmm. And our families both did the same thing. But a year or two later, our families both came back, and we had, ever since a year or two later, had good relations with our family, partly because of the six rules that I came up with, mm-hmm. which I came up with through the fires of adversarial relations. That's how I came up with these the hard way, because we had such a loss of uh, such conflict when we became Catholics. But it's it's all turned out better. My family's come along. Many of our family even have become Catholics since then with us and joined us. And my parents, who were originally very opposed to it and never really liked it, but they were not, uh, after a year or two, they watched the results mm. in our lives, especially in our teenage children's lives, the impact that the Catholic Church made on those kids. Mm. And they said, well, it's obvious that you're following God and you're where he wants you to be. So they came back and they were friends and we talk about it, but my mom and dad did not become Catholic, but they were very accepting and happy for what we had done. Mm-hmm. So what are these six rules that, that came through your fires? Well, I'll start with the first one. Mm-hmm. They're all pretty much, uh, Pamela, they're pretty much common sense. They're not, uh, anybody could, if they sat down and thought about it, could come up with it. So I'm not claiming to be any kind of a genius here. Um, I just learned these by the hard way, and they're pretty much common sense. The first one is, if, if I leave and become a Catholic, how do I relate to the people? Or say something, it really happens in a family, say, for example, that a family is... Catholic and, and then the one leaves to become a Protestant or you have two Protestants and one becomes a Catholic or one becomes just an atheist or a mm. materialist. There's all these kind of potential conflicts within a family yeah. and friends that would require these rules to be applied. And I think that our, our, uh, when we've seen them applied, it's been very effective, not only to keep good relations, but even to help bring people along. Um, to, into the Catholic Church, what I've had. So the number one rule is don't argue. Mm. You know, it's, I'm I'm a very opinionated person. Mm. I when I find something to be true, I'm so excited I can't wait to tell everybody about it. If I found a gold mine, I tell everybody and say, mm. come on over here and start digging. Look what I found. <clears throat> well, this is the way I am, and so it's very easy for me to tell somebody, boy, you should you should be a Christian to a non-Christian. You should be a Catholic, and if they don't like it, it's very easy for me to argue with them because I know my arguments. I've studied this stuff, and I can say, well, let's open, turn the Bible here, turn the Bible there. But 
I learned that don't argue with them because if you do, you can oftentimes push them away. Yeah. I use the example, what happens if you walk up to someone and push them? They're yeah. going to push you right back, yeah. and then they're going to walk away from you. So if you argue, many times you burn bridges. I don't mean don't talk to them and discuss with them. That's fine as long as it's a quiet and it's a productive and friendly conversation mm -hmm. that's not going to burn bridges and make enemies. But if it is going to do that, then it's best not to argue and just to avoid that until sometime later when they are ready to talk to you or maybe when you calm down a little bit too. So first rule is don't argue with them. Mm -hmm. It's easy to forget sometimes in the heat of the moment when your emotions are clouded and, and everything's muddied. You, 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 you tend to argue and try to make, make yourself, I mean, you know, prove your point. Yes, and what happens is we think we have to, this person has to do it now. If, yeah. we're, if they're not a Christian, I want, I've done this ever since I was an evangelical Protestant evangelist. If somebody resists, I want them to become a Christian today. Today you have to. What if Jesus comes back today? You know, you better be ready. But I realize that God is not as in a bigger hurry as I am most of the time. Yeah. And I can back off. And give this person some space. Because mm -hmm. when I wasn't ready to become a Christian, when I was 16, for example, I would have never listened to someone that came and pushed me. It would have pushed me farther away, Don't, tried to argue with me. I would have pushed me away. But at 17, the Holy Spirit touched my life. Mm -hmm. And I start. I remember this long-haired, bell-bottom, tippy kid in the 60s, back when the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Pink Floyd were becoming mm -hmm. popular. I was into that whole lifestyle back then. you know. Um, but all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, it was like a light switch flipped. Mm -hmm. And it was now time for me. If I had tried to, if somebody tried to push me a year earlier, it would have backfired. But now I was ready. We got to give people time. Don't argue with them now. Give them time, which is another one of my rules, is to be patient. Mm -hmm. Be patient. Let God work in their lives. It's not... You, you, you can't push people. God made them with a free will. Even God does not push them. Mm -hmm. God lets them move it at their own pace. Mm -hmm. So don't argue with them. Give them time and wait and, and talk to them again another day. When it starts to get heated, I say, you know what? I love you too much to argue with you about this. I don't want to burn bridges. I don't want to make enemies. Mm -hmm. So let's just hug and, and agree to maybe pick it up again another day. Mm -hmm. And so... That, that's, I think, the good number one rule is to don't argue. So in your next rule, then you say love them more than ever. And I'll say this from personal experience. It's very hard to to get to this point of, of just simply loving, let alone loving them more than what is required. Because sometimes these people can morph or change into people you didn't even realize they could be that way, you know? They could be so materialistic. They could be, um, they have a new philosophy. They found a new spirituality, whatever. And, and it's so hard to see them as the person that you used to see them. So Exactly. Yeah. So how how would you love them more? Yes, my parents saw me as a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> and it was hard for them to love me back. I mean, it was hard for them to do that. It was it, our relationship, even though we had a great relationship, it was now strained. Mm. We, there was something that was bringing a division. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. So someone really begins to follow Jesus, whether they live in an atheistic family or whether they live in a Protestant family and become Catholic or something like this, because Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. So mm. if you really decide to follow me first, the world's not going to like it. 
there are going to be people that are not happy and it's going to bring division. So we can expect that it's going to happen, but we can mitigate it, I think, in a bit by how we act. So I say love them more than ever. Now, say, for example, a wife is a the family's Catholic, but the husband decides to leave and become Protestant. And the wife is very upset by this. So she all of a sudden gets very cold towards mm -hmm. him. She won't let him touch her. She she gets very, she pulls away from him. Mm -hmm. That's exactly the wrong thing to do because that's going to push him away further. Mm -hmm. The thing that she should do is to love him all the more. Mm -hmm. She should embrace him all the more and say, Husband, I, honey, I love you and I understand what you're doing. I don't agree with you, but I'm going to love you so much even though you've done this, that I want you to know that I, I want you to come back and I love you no matter what. Well, see, that gives him then the freedom to turn around and come back without feeling he's coming back to a hostile wife. Mm. So I think that to love them more than ever. I remember when I was uh, becoming Catholic, a woman came up to me and she was yelling at me about this. Why would you do this? Why would you do and she was quoting all these Bible verses at me. And after a few minutes, I just walked over and I gave her a big hug and I kissed her on the cheek. Mm -hmm. And I said, I love you too. I said, I understand that you're concerned for my soul. Mm -hmm. And I thank you for that, that you love me enough to confront me about it. But we have a little bit of difference. We can talk about it another time. But I just want to let you know that I love you too. And I hugged her and gave her a kiss on the cheek. And I'll tell you, that woman stood there with her mouth open, flabbergasted, mm -hmm. flummoxed, had no idea how to respond to that. Because you can't argue with love. Mm -hmm. So the second rule is no matter what the situation, you love that person. Now, there are some examples of things that you can't. If someone is abusive, for example, the husband begins abusing his wife, then that's a whole different matter. Or uh, committing adultery or those kind of things. That's a different story. But I mean in these daily, maybe religious or even political issues today, that could become very politically charged as well. We need to love our spouse or our family or our friend and give them time. Again, be patient with them, but always let them know that you love them no matter what. And that always then opens the door for them to come back eventually. Now, in your third rule, you mentioned um, praying and making sacrifices. And I think one of the biggest examples of this is St. Monica and uh, St. Augustine, where she prayed, I think, 40 years before she saw some fruit of her prayers. So... Uh, Two things here. One is, how do you go about praying for somebody and making sacrifices for them? And two, how long do you wait for, for how long do you wait for something to happen? Well, I, t I often tell people that there, uh, there are times many people will never see the answer to their prayers. Mm. That the answer to prayers will come after they're gone or after they die already. Mm. Um, that's that's just the reality of life. Time moves on. People have free will. They uh, we cannot dictate the time frame. When I say the number rule number three is to pray and make sacrifices, a lot of us have this cliche. Oh, I'll pray for you. But how many of us really do? Yeah. One of our relatives decided to leave the faith, mm -hmm. not just Catholic, but decided just to go be secular, and because her all of the rest of the family was so Catholic that she didn't want to be judged by that. So she just said, I'm going to go do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And so off she, off she went. And one of our 
family members decided to pray for her every day. And not only that, but he was going to fast for her every Friday. Mm. And so he did this. And eventually when she came back, she said, she pointed her fingers at him and she said, I know what you were doing. You were praying and fasting for me. Doggone it. How could I resist that? Well, he had prayed and fasted and God had answered his prayers. All of us actually were praying. And he went even further to fast on Fridays. But I say that we should pray and make sacrifices for our loved ones and friends because God hears those prayers. Mm. And fasting also and making sacrifices is is uh, effective with God. We see that all through the scriptures. We talk about how fasting is important, which is you give up something of your own to show your intensity of prayer for someone else. So we pray and make sacrifices, but I say to really do that. Don't just say you're going to do it, but really do it. And Pamela, one of the things that I've encouraged people to do is make it make a chart. Mm-hmm. It has three columns. Mm-hmm. It has what you're going to pray for. That's in column number one. And it doesn't just mean for family members, but for other things that are weighing heavy on your mind that you want to pray for. So you put in column number one, I pray that my husband comes back to the Christian faith. And so you start praying for that. But in the second column, put the date that you started praying it. Mm. And then in the third column, up at the top, I should say, the date God answered my prayer. Mm. And then you start praying and you remind God. You said, if I ask, I'll receive. If I pray according to your will, you'll answer me, and you will listen to my prayers. And so here's the prayer request in the first column. Second column is the date I started praying, and now hold God accountable. (laughs) Put God on the spot and say, God, I will put my the date right here, and then the fourth column even would be a column of praise and thanksgiving for what he did. So, yes, that's number three. Pray and make sacrifices, actually, to make a chart, hold God accountable, and let him know that you're going to be praying for that person, and you can't wait to put the date in there that he answered that prayer. Okay, great. Uh, I actually took notes, so I'm going to start doing this myself, not just for for other people, but for my own personal prayers. I have a very nice... Uh, article that I wrote about it. It's on Catholic Answers website. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll send you that link, okay? okay? And then you can make it available to all the listeners. Yeah, sure, sure. And I'll tell you what, I'll also put it on my website too. I'll, I have my website is catholicconvert.com. Okay. And in a day or two, I, I know that you're not, this isn't live, so I'll put it up so that you let me know what day this show is going to go live on your website. Mm-hmm. And I'll put those rules up but I'll, on my website, catholicconvert.com. Mm-hmm. But I'll also send the links to you so you can share them. Okay, great. It's a, it's a whole article. Yeah, okay. So you want to go to rule number four? Because I know probably time's getting short. Uh, no, we have uh, another 30 minutes. But uh, you can go ahead with okay. uh, studying the Catholic faith. I think that that is everybody should be doing it, even though a lot of us are not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now, here's the saddest thing, and I'm doing this in the context of being a Catholic and having family members who leave the Catholic Church. I give, just so you know, Pamela and your audience, I give conferences all over the world. Mm -hmm. I give a lot of talks at churches Mm -hmm. and at conferences and men's conferences and so on. All over the world I do this, and I get a lot of questions from people. But the number one question I always get, nine to one out of all of them, for every one question I get, 
I get nine other ones about what should I do about my family members who have left the faith. Mm. My children were raised in Catholic school, but they all left, and now they become Protestants, or they become secular, or they become this or that. So what should I do? So that's the number one question I get. And so <clears throat> think about how sad it would be if that person who left the faith decides to come back and they ask you, well, why do you really believe this or that? Why do you believe there are priests? Why do you believe that Jesus is really present in the Eucharist? Mm. And your response is, I don't know. <laughs> Wouldn't that be sad? Yeah. That they finally come back and, they, and you have loved them. You've been praying for them. You haven't argued with them. So they're ready to come and talk to you because the the relationship is still open, and you don't know the answers to these basic questions. So my rule number four is to study the Catholic faith in this situation. Study and learn why we believe these things. Why do we believe that there is a pope? Why do we believe that with the hands of the priest and the Eucharist, the bread and wine actually become the real body and blood of Jesus? There are good biblical reasons for that, good arguments and understandings of theology of that, but, and they're very simple to understand if we just take time. So maybe we should take, uh, get into a study course. I have lots of stuff on my website, free resources, hundreds of documents and conversion stories and things so that people that want to educate themselves, they could come to my website and be busy for the next two years learning all of these things with Bible studies and all the things and videos that I have available and things on, on defending and explaining the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. So now you've studied and you're ready. So your friend comes back, your family member says, you know, I want, why do you, uh, I'm thinking of, the questions are, why do you believe this? And they say, the real presence of Christ. I say, well, let's turn to John chapter 6. Jesus said there, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And oh, three places in the Gospels and once in First Corinthians where Jesus is giving the institution. And he said, this mm. is my body. Mm. And now you can start explaining to them because you did your homework. Mm. So I think that in this situation, all of us should be doing the homework and knowing why and what we believe and so we can explain it now there's a word called apologetics yeah i don't know if all your listeners know that <laughs> apologetics does not mean that i go around apologizing for being a catholic oh i'm so sorry i apologize i'm a catholic the word apologist comes from first peter chapter 3 verse 15 in the new testament mm -hmm. and that verse says be ready to give an answer to mm -hmm. anyone who asks the hope that lies within you. In other words, you're going through persecution and suffering, and someone comes up and says, why are you still joyful? Why do you have hope even mm -hmm. though you're suffering? Mm -hmm. Be ready to give a defense or an explanation. That word in the Greek original language of the Bible is apologia. Mm -hmm. Be ready to give an apologia, an, expl an explanation or a defense mm -hmm. for why you believe what you do. So that is then called apologetics, where you learn how to explain and defend the Catholic faith. So that is why number four, study the Catholic faith, become an apologist, one who knows how to explain and defend it. Then when your family or friends are willing to talk, you have something to say to them, and you've learned, plus it's going to do a whole, whole lot of good for your own spiritual life. Yeah. Um, I just have a follow-up question here, because sometimes uh, it does happen when you are defending uh, the faith, you find yourself under attack. You know, you're... Yes. Uh, and and this, this then gets into fights, it gets into an argument. How do you do this delicate dance between 
just defending and not getting your emotions involved as well well you have to the person you're talking to has to know that you really care for them mm -hmm. that you're that they're just not a soul to win i'm gonna win this battle <laughs> yeah. um, you know there's a there's a way that in military terms that they say maybe you can win this battle but because of that you've lost the war mm -hmm. so there are times where you view uh, views winning someone back to christ or back to the catholic church um, it can be very emotional. That's where we go back to rule number one. Don't argue with them. There comes a time where you step back. But you also have to get to the real issue of the problem between you and them. A lot of times people have theological reasons, but it's really sometimes a sexual issue. Mm -hmm. Somebody wants to live in fornication, say. They've been raised as a Catholic and they've been taught that fornication is wrong mm -hmm. or contraception and abortion is wrong. Living with someone out of marriage is wrong. Divorce and remarriage. Mm -hmm. So say they're happy to be a Catholic and all of a sudden they decide to move in with their girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And now they have a sexual relationship outside of marriage and it's called fornication. And somebody comes to talk to them about that and says, you know, this is a sin what you're doing and you need to correct this sin. And they said, you know what? They get mad at the Catholic Church and say, I want to do what I want to do. And who is the Pope to tell me what to do anyway? <laughs> anyway. So then they come up with theological arguments. Yeah. It's not really, they start saying, well, we don't believe in the Pope and we don't believe in that the Catholic Church is the only church and we don't believe. But when they do that, they're making theological arguments, but their real argument is they don't want to follow the church's moral teachings. Mm -hmm. So it's a good idea when you're talking to someone or dealing to find out what their issue really is. One time, I'll give an example. A guy came to me and he was really mad at the Catholic Church and he was yelling at me and saying that he came to my house actually and said that he was not, he had left the church and he was angry with the church and we were wrong on the Pope and we were wrong about Mary and we were wrong about everything. And I, after talking to him for a while, I said, I said, uh, wait a minute, I, I don't think your real problems are theological. Did something happen to you? Did you have a bad relationship or situation that really hurt you? And the man started to cry, mm -hmm. and he told about a, a bad experience that he had had in the Catholic Church where the priest yelled at him and was very unfair to him when he was a boy, mm -hmm. that he was talking during Mass, and the priest scolded him in front of everyone and embarrassed him, and so he decided he was never going to go back to church again. Well, his arguments weren't really about the Pope or Mary or the Eucharist. His was a personal hurt feeling, mm -hmm. and I said to him, well, you know, that priest should have never done that to you. That was very disrespectful and rude, and it was very hurtful. And I apologize for that priest for saying that, and I'd like you to become Catholic again. And that man started to cry, and he said, thank you very much, and he came back to the Catholic Church. It wasn't about theology. It was an emotional pain. And once I got deeper and took the time to listen to him and really understand him, I found out what really the problem was. Another way you can say this is before you scratch, find out where someone itches. <laughs> if their leg itches, you no sense scratching their back. So this is, like you said, you, you can find... Go deeper. Don't just get emotional and argue with people. Let them know that you really care about them, because if you really don't care about them, they're not going to care what you have to say. 
So your next rule is uh, show the Lord's joy in your life. And I think if you're spirit-filled, since we're approaching Pentecost anyway and doing the Novena and everything, I think if you're filled with the Spirit, uh, you, the, this joy of living the faith automatically comes comes out. And it's not something that you have to go out and actually show because it's just so visible in your life. Exactly. If I go outside right now and I cut an apple in half and I set it on my porch, all these birds and animals and bugs are going to come to eat that apple. Yeah. If I set something really nasty, like acid out there, a bowl of acid, Nobody, no animal, nothing's going to come to that. Everybody's going to stay away from it. My point is this. How are we conducting our life? How do people see us? When I come home from church on Sunday, say I just went to Mass and I come home, and I'm all sweet like an apple, and I say to everybody, wow, I just had a great time. I just got to hear the Word of God read out loud, and it really spoke to me, the passages of the Bible and the homily. It, it spoke to me as well, and then I got to receive the real body and blood of Jesus Christ, and that just gives me spiritual strength. And I got to be with all of my brothers and sisters in Christ there. And we were able to give money in the offering to share with poor people and to help the disadvantaged. And I am just so full of joy after going to church today. Mm. Or... I can come home and say, that stupid priest, he just kept preaching and preaching, and it was boring as could be, and everybody was grouchy. Nobody smiled at me, and I, oh, oh, I just don't, I, just, I go to church because I have to, but I just can't stand it. Well, how many people want to go with you next Sunday? So the whole point is that you should show the joy of the Lord in your life. If you're a grouchy, rude person, nobody's going to be attracted to you mm. or to the Catholic faith. If you are full of joy, like Paul says in the book of Philippians, rejoice, I say, always rejoice. No matter what, rejoice, be full of joy. Those are the key theme words in the whole book of the Philippians that Paul wrote, is joy and rejoice. Always be full of joy. Be happy. People like being around happy people. Mm. People enjoy being around uplifting, happy, joyous, enthusiastic people. That's the kind of people people want to be around. So we should show the joy of the Lord in our life, and it will be attractive to other people. It will draw them not only to you, mm -hmm. but to the thing that makes you joyful. It will draw them to the Catholic thing. One, one other yeah. thing, Pamela, about that. I heard somebody one time, they came to me, and they said, our parish is so unfriendly. I'm thinking of quitting because I go there, nobody smiles, nobody says hello. Everybody just sits in their own pew. They come in, they sit down, <laughs> they pray, they get up and leave. Nobody's friendly and I, it's not a very friendly parish. So I'm thinking of leaving. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm going to give you a job next Sunday. I want you to get to Mass 15 minutes early. Mm -hmm. I want you to stand by the front door and I want you to greet everyone that comes in. You tell them, hello, my name's Bill. I'm so happy you're here to join us today. We love the Lord. We love you. We're so glad you're here. And just greet everybody like that and find two or three more people to help you. And I said, I'll bet you within the two months you have a friendly, inviting parish. And I think that's what I keep saying to a number of people. I mean, if there is something that you don't like in your parish, you should be the one to change it. I mean, nobody's going to come yep. from heaven and change those things. You are there in that parish to change things. So right. stop so complaining You be the friendly it. one. Yeah. You change it. If there's not a Bible study, start a Bible stop study. One. If yeah. people aren't happy, you be happy. If people, there's all kind. If the church is dirty, then bring a mop and a broom and clean it. Clean it. Yeah. yeah. It's your church. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and we are the living the the living stones there. There's there's no one else who's gonna come and do it. Exactly. So you have your last your final rule is to bring someone else to influence. Um, let let me leave that one because I've kind of changed this a little. I've made it seven. Okay. So let me let me do number. I'm gonna change six. Okay. And then this one will make number seven. Okay. So number six and the new one is be patient. Mm. I realized that was necessary. One of the rules, so I added it because we are very impatient people. Yeah. At least I am. I don't know about you, but I am very impatient. I like to get things done today. When I go to bed at night, all my emails are answered. My I mow the lawn. I don't let it get long. I'm not a procrastinator. I like to get things done. And all of us are like that to a degree. We yeah. want people to do it our way now. Don't wait. So we have this sense of impatience because we're stuck in time. But God is not stuck in time. God is in eternity. He looks down and he sees the whole thing in one big picture. But I see that I want that person to become a Christian now, right today. Why wait till tomorrow? Well, there's a good thing about that, but not if we get impatient and push people away or make people nervous. We should trust God. Even in the scripture, it says, consider the patience of the Lord to be your salvation, because the Lord could be impatient with me. I'm still dealing with things in my life all the time. What if God was pushing me and impatient? It would, it would exasperate me. It would make me want to give up. But we have to be patient. Give people time. Love them. Don't argue with them. Pray for them. Do your homework. Show the joy of the Lord in your life. and Give them time. Because all of us need time. We can't be pushed. People don't like being pushed. We like people to be patient with us. And so the number rule number six is be patient and give people their space. Mm -hmm. Give them some time to come on their own. And then we get to rule number seven, mm -hmm. which is ask God to bring somebody else into their life because they're never going to listen to you. <laughs> Isn't that true? That's Family true. members are the most difficult. Yeah. People that are strangers, people you work with maybe once, a, you could talk to them about religion or something maybe easier than you can a family member. Mm. Family, I remember my mother, when I became Catholic, I was 39, and like I said, she was probably 60 at the time. Uh, she was probably 65, because she's 98 and a half now. Mm. And I remember, Mom, Mom, I found out that we were wrong being Baptists. I re mom, we have to, you have to become Catholic. And my mom said, who are you to tell me what religion I should be? I changed your diapers, you little brat. Who are you to come now and tell me I'm wrong? Well, right away, I broke all the rules, didn't I? All six of the rules so far I broke with my mom. But I knew that mom wasn't going to listen to me. Yeah. Because she respected me as her son but not as a spiritual authority. I'm just her kid. She still saw me in diapers and cleaning up after I puked when I had the flu. You know, who is this kid telling me what to do? And it was the same with my wife's parents. Mm. They were very angry with us and wouldn't have anything to do with us. So what we did in both cases is I said, Lord, you said if I knock, you'll answer. If I ask, you'll give. And then Jesus gives a uh, parable of the woman, the widow, mm -hmm. who comes to the unjust. He's yeah. a bad judge. And he's sleeping at night, but she needs justice. So she knocks on his door. 
And he yells out the window, go away, I'm sleeping. She knocks on the door louder. He says, go away, I told you I'm sleeping. She knocks on the door louder. Finally, he gets up and he comes down and takes care of her judicial issue. Why? Because he's a good judge? No, but because that woman was driving him crazy and wasn't letting him get any sleep. So he came down and took care of her so he could get back to bed. And Jesus said, if the unjust judge is willing to do that, how much more your heavenly father if you are persistent in prayer? How much more your Heavenly Father will answer you if you keep asking Him? So I realized, well, we're going to start asking God the Father every day for our parents. Mm -hmm. So every day I'd say, Lord, you said I could knock on your door. Okay, I'm going to drive you crazy again today. I'm coming again about our parents. Well, about a year later, after I kept doing this every day, it's like I said to pray and make sacrifices, mm -hmm. make a list and put the date and tell mm -hmm. God I'm going to put the date you answer it in this column. Well, about a year later, my my wife's parents were camping in Kerrville, Texas with some friends of theirs, and they didn't know their friends were Catholic. They never talked about religion much, but one day, they're both the women were book readers. They joined book clubs, and they loved to share books back and forth. And so the other lady says to my mother-in-law, I just read the best book I've ever read in my life. You've got to get a copy of this. My mother-in-law said, well, what's the title of it? She said, Crossing the Tiber. <laughs> Now, she said, well, who wrote that book? She said, a guy named Steve Ray. <laughs> well, for those who don't know, that was my first book called mm -hmm. Crossing the Tiber. It was my conversion story about how we became Catholic. This woman had read that book. She said it was the best book she ever read, Asked, told my mother-in-law about it, and she said, oh, it's the best book. Can you get me a signed autographed picture of him? Because she said, that's my son-in-law. You liked his book. Mm -hmm. She said, oh, I love that you've got to read well, from that point on, my wife's parents did not become Catholic, but mm. guess what happened? Mm. All of a sudden, they had respect for us. Mm. They called us up and invited us over for the first time in over a year, and they wanted to know more about what we're doing, and we were starting to make a movie project, and they wanted to learn all about our movie project. They ended up getting our books, and now all of a sudden, in answer to that prayer, I said, Lord, bring somebody else into their life mm. that they trust, that they have influence over because they're not going to listen to us and a year later god exactly answered my prayer he brought their friends into their life who talked about us and got it so that our in-laws were now our friends again and had respect for us now that just shows we sometimes we as catholics or whatever we're trying to uh whatever situation we're in if we're Catholics trying to convince somebody else, they may not listen to us at all. They may have no respect for us. But if we pray and ask God to bring somebody else into their life who they do have respect for, mm. God's going to answer that prayer. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe a year from now, or maybe after your death. But if we really sincerely pray, which is back up to rule number three, I think it was, then we have the assurance that God is going to be working in their life. So ask God to bring someone else and influence them because they're not going to listen to you probably. So what do family members do when they don't see any fruit? You know, you're praying, you're doing, um, and, and it seems like a long journey and there's no result that you actually visibly see. Internally things may be happening, but you don't see the fruit of what you're doing. So how do you deal with your own emotions, your own personal struggle at this time? That's where we have to go back to the be patient, mm -hmm. and we have to trust God. And we have to realize that we are finite, 
We are very limited. We cannot accomplish everything. We can only do what God calls us to do. And I think that it was Mother Teresa who said, God does not, um, how do you say, God does not expect success. He only expects faithfulness. I think that's somewhat correct. But that God does not require success of us. He doesn't say, I expect you to get your parents to become Christians or to become Catholics or whatever. He says, I'm only asking you to be faithful. Faithful Mm -hmm. at what? Faithful at praying. Mm -hmm. Faithful at doing what you can. Being a good witness. Mm -hmm. Faithful at loving. Of not arguing these other rules. So when it comes time, we just have to go give it back to God. And say, God, you want them to be saved or to become into the fullness of the faith even more than I do. Mm. You want my mom and dad to come back to be friends with us even more than I do. Mm. So I'm giving this to you. I know that you're not going to violate their free will. God doesn't violate our free will. He did not make puppets that he can pull the string. And I say, I love you. I love you. I love you. He gave us free will. He would rather have us choose what what would be better i have four kids and 18 grandkids if they all had a button on their chest and i push the button and when i do they say i love you i love you i love you that's not very rewarding Mm. it's much better to have a grandchild who has free will who because of your love for them and your attention they'll come up and say grandpa i love you and god is like this too he doesn't violate their free will and we have to realize that he can work with them and cajole them and set up circumstances to help direct them. But we have to, even when we get impatient, sit back and remember, God is not requiring success of me, only a faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And God is wanting this to happen more than I do. So I am just going to wait and let God do this. But I'll keep my relationship up with these people. I'll keep being a good example to them. And oftentimes, unfortunately, Pamela, maybe it takes a sickness or a Mm -hmm. car accident. Sometimes when people are rich and fat and young and handsome and beautiful, they don't need God. Mm -hmm. But when things go bad in their life, all of a sudden they cry, oh, dear God, help me. This is the way we human beings are. Mm -hmm. And so when we pray for God to God to do that, he may have to bring some adversity into their life Mm -hmm. even before they wake up before they realize how small and infinite, finite they are and limited and how they really do need God. And then guess who they come talk to? You, because you've loved them, because you've been patient, because you've done your homework, because you haven't argued with them, and because you've done everything you need to be there so that when they're ready, you're the one that they come and talk to because you've kept the relationship open. So I think when we get impatient and when we get frustrated, We just have to take a deep breath, breathe in, breathe out, and give it back to God and let God be in charge. Mm -hmm. That's that's great advice. And um, what are your last, I know that I I never realized that your own personal experience was was behind all of those six rules. Uh, But hearing it, it it makes so much of a difference because you know this subject so intimately. So what are your last thoughts on this? My last thoughts are, we are limited people. We're only going to live a hundred years at the most. My mom's 98 and a half years old. We don't, she's still healthy, but I, I don't know. She's not going to live a whole lot longer. People don't live past a hundred very often. We have a limited lifespan, but God is there always. 
and people come and go, and my grandchildren will be here long after I'm gone. What kind of a legacy will I leave them? Mm-hmm. It's good for parents, I think, and grandparents to write letters to their children. Mm-hmm. Write letters to your grandchildren so that when they die, it's given to them, and they all say, oh, this is what you, a personal letter that grandma wrote to me. And you don't have to wait till you die. You can give it to them now because you may have great, a sense of fondness and love for your family and your friends, but how much nicer if you write them in a real warm and loving letter expressing your joy over them and your wishes for them, mm-hmm. that you wish that they would come into the fullness of the faith, but you love them anyway. And what a gift that would be when, when you die someday that your 20-year-old grandson or granddaughter opens that letter and reads from mm-hmm. beyond the grave what you're thinking and what you're saying to them. So I think that we should be like Jesus, be patient with people, work with them. And if, uh, my website is catholicconvert.com. I have a lot of stuff up there. Um, as soon as I know that this is going to go live, I'll put up the um, the link for my rules of six, six rules. But you know, actually know you're on the inside now. You know there's actually seven. And um, so I hope that people find this helpful. So... Just, I was anyway going to come up to this, so let people know where they can find you on social media, your website, um, how they can invite you to their church. All of that's at catholicconvert.com. If you go there and go to the right, I have my, you can click on my YouTube channel, my Twitter feed, my Facebook page. I have all those things there. You can also click on the pilgrimage link. I, I lead pilgrimages to the Holy Land and to all these Catholic sites like Lords and Fatima and St. Paul Cruz, we're doing, uh, we have four trips still to Israel this year after the virus thing is over, and uh, St. Paul Cruz, and so you can go to the pilgrimages, it can go to click on resources, right, all of these things, so everything you can find is on my catholicconvert.com, and that'll direct you to Twitter and Facebook, I have a lot, a lot of talks on YouTube, people around the world write to me all the time, every day, how much they learned about the Eucharist, and about Mary, and about the very things we're talking about now and how to live a Christian life in a pagan world, all these things, but it's at all of them you can find. And my store is there too, where I have all my books and I have over 50 talks on on MP3s and CDs and all the movies. I've made a whole series of movies on the whole Bible, all on location. We went to Iraq and all these places to film the life of Abraham and Moses and David and Solomon, Elijah and Elisha, Mary, Peter, Paul, Jesus, Apostolic Father. We've got movies on all of that too at catholicconvert.com. Great. So thank you so much, Steve, for joining us on, uh, you know, immediately after the holiday weekend and talking to all our guests and to me this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pamela. I appreciate you having me on and thanks for doing such a good thing for the Lord.